It comes down to self-awareness and a foundation of understanding my values. And I say that cautiously because I think self-knowledge is a lifelong journey. And when I think about Ikigai, for me, it's really understanding that the day we think we understand and know ourselves fully and we have things figured out is, is the day that we, we most likely don't have a clue. If you're earnestly pursuing a life with Ikigai, self-awareness and self-acceptance will likely be part of the terrain you'll explore. First, we need to get to know ourselves better. We need to understand how our childhood and past experiences have influenced what we believe. Second, we need to accept that regardless of what may have happened in the past, we only have control over who we are now. Past traumas don't have to influence how we see or feel about ourselves. You know, without sounding too cheesy, we need to have the courage to love ourselves in order to live with Ikigai. Today's guest is Mark Henry. Mark is a manager of sales development at Slack and someone who has a passion for learning and growth. We talk about his lifelong journey of developing self-awareness, building more movement in his life, some of his failures that have propelled him to where he is today, and of course, what Ikigai means to him. I'm really excited to share this episode with you because Mark is authentic, he's funny, and opens up with some really honest stories about his experiences. I know you're going to love it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Henry. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining the Ikigai Project. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Peter. I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, you know, we've known each other for quite some time now, and um, I know you and I think about the lot, a lot of the same things around self-knowledge, growth, becoming better human beings in general. So it's it's actually really exciting that we get to unpack some of this in some of the conversations that we've had in the past, uh, late at night or, you know, um, in, uh, in, in our gentlemen's dinner conversations. And now we get to share it with the world. So thanks for, thanks for being here and willing to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this initiative that you launched with the Icky guy podcast is, is really inspiring. And, um, you know, I don't know if anyone's really given you a shout out yet as a guest, but um, for those that are listening that know Peter or who don't know, um, you know, it's exciting to always leave a conversation with you feeling like I'm learning something new or just positively energized from some ideas that we've chatted. So for yeah, sure, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, so one of the places that I like to start these interviews with is just to get to know a little bit about the origin story of, of our guests and Specifically, you know, some of the things about where you grew up, what kind of environment it was for you, um, some of the lessons you learned at a young age that have influenced who you are today. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about the Mark Henry origin story, where you grew up, what it was like being you growing up? Yeah, so I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So I think just, again, thinking about what part of Canada I'm from, just ingrained in my opinion and what it means to come from the prairies and what have you it's uh ingrained to be you know someone who's humble who's hardworking, who's uh down to earth and i think that permeates within my personality but uh in a lot of people from that part of the country um my family i have an older brother and older sister so i'm the youngest of, of three children and um yeah, I guess what else can I share about that part of my life? I, my parents got divorced uh, or separated when I was uh, just towards the end of my elementary school education. And so I think that had had an impact on me and just kind of who I was. Generally, just being the youngest of three, I'm not sure if listeners out there have done much reading on birth order, but I would say that I was someone who enjoyed attention, who like to be outgoing, who uh, was constantly adding energy to the family dynamic. And I think also just in my parents' parenting style, this, this seemed to be the case with all of their children, but um, certainly with me, I felt at a young age, they instilled 
a sense of independence uh, and freedom in decision making, and um, that, along with just how our family uh, navigated life events over the years, I think has been a big part of my identity. So yeah, those are just a few off the top of my head comments about my childhood. Were were there any particular challenges or or things that you had to overcome that kind of helped you? be who you are today now, kind of looking back at your, your childhood? Yeah, I mean, I think I was alluding to it earlier, um, having had my parents uh, separate uh, when I was at a younger age. We also, you know, went through some financial challenges as a family. So um, as I was in my junior high, kind of teenage years, there was a, a, a strong emphasis placed on independence. And uh, for me, anyway, just felt very much like I was in the driver's seat of, of outcomes I was hoping to achieve, whether they were personal goals, um, things I wanted to do in school. And also just, you know, without going too far into detail, I was still going to school in the area where I grew, grew up in because I wanted to stay connected to the friends I had made. And so there was a lot of positives that came with that, but I think the, 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 the double-edged sword was that I was quite far from the school where all my friends were. So it made it harder to do after school hobbies and activities and also just kind of hang out. So I think part of that as well at a young age um, led me to be very comfortable with being alone um, and just having time with myself for reflection and, you know, also just finding a, a sense of keeping myself occupied. So those things I think have had an impact on me and then as well just pushing through just like any family or any individual we all have our stories but just pushing through maybe challenging parts of of my upbringing and that has led to a, a grittiness or a hard work ethic that I think still exists today yeah um the the piece around and I think we'll come back to this later in the conversation around being comfortable being on your own sounds like it was something that you started doing early on um when you were young um how like what did you do with uh, your alone time how did you start building this comfort with being alone because you know i think there's there's some of us that we feel you know, you know we we want to be around people and that's how we get energy out of out of things but um you know, there, there's also the opportunity to grow and, and reflect when you're alone. Um, tell me a little bit about that and how, how you spent your time alone. Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. We've talked a lot about introversion and extroversion. And I think for me, I get a lot of energy from being around people I care about, out with friends. You know, that said, uh, especially in my profession today, it's a highly extroverted communicative role. And so for me, I really like that other side where I can find quiet time at home on an evening or on the weekends and just be able to get some space to digest and process information. You know, when I was younger, I think in a lot of cases, it was not really as much, uh, I wouldn't say a choice because it was certainly a choice, but it was more forced upon me uh, in just the situation that I was in. And so just naturally we're adaptable as people. And uh, for me, it was more about adapting and making the most of the environment and the circum circumstance that I was in. I think like in those teenage years, I'm sure like a lot of people, um, it involved listening to music. Uh, for me, music was something that had, has always been a big part of my life, not much in performing but in listening and dancing and enjoying it some of my fondest memories as a kid which um, i still love and hold dear today are when my mom would take us my me and my sister for instance and just put on her favorite music and we would just dance in the kitchen or in the dining room and i think um you know unfortunately for for a lot of males especially that that can be a hard thing to do to be comfortable to do something as simple as dance which is so innate and built within us um, as people. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it was anything particular in how I kind of got comfortable with being alone. I think it was kind of uh, a little bit of circumstance, 
but it was like listening to music, journaling, um, to be honest with you, watching a lot of TV in those younger years, which is not something that is as big of a part of my life anymore. But um, yeah, I got really good at quoting The Simpsons and Seinfeld. You are. I, I feel like you, you know those two shows inside and out. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a useless hidden talent. No, not at all. Uh, those are those are some awesome quotes you, you drop on occasion. Um, but speaking of, you know, kind of understanding yourself and growing that sense of self-knowledge, um, you recently attended a conference in New York um, with the School of Life. Uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about it? You know, what what compelled you to attend the conference, and and what was it what was it like there? Yeah, so there's an organization called the School of Life, and you know, I'm not affiliated with them at all. In my words, I think the thing that they really focus on is this concept of we go to school for academics and to learn a specific trade or discipline that can help us largely economically and in our job. They argue that there isn't really any resources or support for how does one do a lot of the things that we're expected of in being a person and living their life. And so um, I think just naturally, I was first introduced to the organization through actually the CEO of the current company I work at not directly, but in a, a company talk that he was giving. And I was very intrigued by it. They have a lot of great YouTube videos and online resources. And over the years, wouldn't follow them closely, but just kind of in fits and spurts. And then I think it was actually probably a conversation you and I had about a podcast with the founder of that organization. Um, and we, you had recommended it and I gave it a listen. And I decided just to check in on their website and I saw that they had a conference coming up and I'm based in Toronto right now. And so the conference seems to travel um, every year in a different location. It just so happened to be in New York this year. And yeah, for me, like I just, there are certain things when I I'm lucky that uh, I have the uh, financial means and I feel privileged for that, that in these cases, when I see a great personal development opportunity, I don't really think too hard about it. I know that it's an investment in myself. And so I didn't have to, to dwell on it too much. I was like, I'm going to be there. This is going to be great. Uh, and it was, it was really fantastic, very immersive. It was a Friday to Sunday type, type conference and focused on everything that you can think of that uh, affects us from on the opening day, thinking about self-knowledge and, and who we are and psychology and how, to, how does mind work to do, um, spending a whole half day on love and relationships, which you know, I, I think that could be the whole conference itself, uh, to grippling with failure, to talking about mental health in the workplace, to um, finding uh, calm and overcoming anxiety, and ultimately talking about finding meaning in life, which uh, I thought was well done as well. Nice. So, so it sounds like a lot of uh, different topics around being a human being and, and living a purposeful life. Um, was there any one that kind of resonated with you the most in, in the, in, in your current situation? Um, or did, did all of them kind of just, yeah, these are all really important. I need to dig into them. There was so many takeaways from the conference, to be honest. Uh, I still find myself coming back to the things that um, I wrote down and took notes on. I think a big part of it was vulnerability, which is a theme that I'm working on generally in my own development right now. Um, there was a lot of that, just sharing with strangers certain things that you probably haven't ever actually, quite frankly, told anyone. Uh, and they had interactive exercises, which were fun. Um, yeah, and then just touching on meaning in life, which was really interesting, and the importance of reflection, which sometimes I know I'm guilty of not or slowing down rather to take enough time to do. And, um, you know, they argue that, you know, I think this is ambitious, but for every waking hour that we have as people, we should spend 10 minutes of that uh, of equivalent time uh, in processing and digesting that information. And while that probably feels like a very aspirational um, challenge for most, including myself, I think the point is well understood, which is 
we are overstimulated, have so much content coming our way, so many experiences, we're constantly booking things in our agenda. And it's, it's really important to actually carve out time just to sit on your couch or in a chair and not have anything planned and maybe put a, a pencil on a piece of paper in front of you. So that, that was really interesting. And I think there were some concepts on the meaning of life that have stuck with me. Uh, yeah, I'm sure people or listeners have their own perspectives on this and there's no one right answer, I'd argue, but some, some concepts that I hadn't really heard about in that context, one of them being uh, transcendence. And so just taking that uh, from my perspective, it's this idea that we find meaning and purpose in our lives and we're in situations where we realize our insignificance. And that can sound a bit of a downer. Uh, however, when you are looking atop a breathtaking mountain view or you're studying the latest NASA pictures of some extremely far away galaxy, you do get that perspective of, hey, like my life that I think about all the time that matters so much to me, probably in the scheme of, or, or in the, you know, in the context of, of the earth, doesn't really matter all that much. And I think there's a lot of freedom in knowing that. Um, and it's, it's humbling and it's peaceful. And uh, more and more with uh, just urban density, I think finding those opportunities to go to nature, for instance, can be really, really powerful. So that's just one example of, of something that, that, that stood up with me. Yeah, so many great lessons. Um... And, and, you know, many ways that you can probably apply different habits or routines to help you incorporate, you know, vulnerability in your life, reflection in your life, the, the feeling of insignificance and, you know, to, to go out there and do it because at the end of the day, we only have this kind of really short amount of time um, to, to make an impact and contribute to the world. Uh, are there any specific maybe things that you've incorporated as a result of the conference, uh, like, you know, habits, routines, anything in particular that you're doing a little bit differently now? Yeah, well, things are pretty fresh. It's, it was a few weeks ago. I think the, the biggest thing, as I mentioned earlier, is just uh, finding those micro moments to do some, some digestion and reflection on a piece of paper of things that might've happened to me. Um, you know, I've talked about this in the past, uh, the concept of like a five minute journal. Uh, so I still try to keep that up fairly steadily uh, most days. Even that, just talking about moments that I'm grateful for that have happened in the day or things that um, were highlights, as an example, can be really, really meaningful. And um, yeah, I think just right now, what feels actionable for me is taking some time on the weekend to take stock of, of what's happened in the previous week and look ahead to um, goals that I'm setting for myself. And I've heard some of your other guests talk about this, but um, I think there's, there's broader moments to more thoughtfully step out of the day-to-day -day of our lives and just do a calibration or just a little pulse check on how things are going. And I find that that for me has been a more recent learning. Um, last, last November, almost a year ago, actually, I, without much consideration, again, similar to going to the School of Life conference, I went on a on a yoga retreat for seven days to Mexico. And I, you know, while I aspire to be a yoga practitioner, I would say that I don't do it a whole lot, um, semi, semi frequently. However, for me, I was like, this is going to be a great opportunity to have a vacation that's not rooted on partying and, um, you know, maybe junk food and, and, and alcohol, but on eating cleanly, it was all uh, vegan food and sleeping well spending time to reflect and doing lots of yoga, which was, was phenomenal. That, that trip was great for me to just really take stock of where I was at in my life. Um, you know, Bill Gates, who I'm sure a lot of listeners know, obviously who that is. He talks about um, how important he had with something called a think week where he would take some time just by himself, whether it's like a full week or a weekend where he can just think and, and have those ideas. So, Last, last, last year doing that, that was a really important takeaway was I need to just be on the week-to-week -week patterning, take those, those more meaningful, whether it just be a day or a weekend or a whole week to get away from my day-to-day -day and just take stock of what's going on. 
So that was a bit of a long answer, but all to say that um, I think more routine around reflecting, which everyone can do more of. That's awesome, man. It's super thoughtful. And uh, yeah, I, I was just watching a, a documentary with of Bill Gates and his, they talk about his think week and, you know, it's, it, it's amazing. This, if Bill Gates can do a full week of just thinking and reading and reflecting, I think all of us can take it upon ourselves to just incorporate something like that um, into our lives. Uh, Cause that, that man is, is busy even post Microsoft um, with his foundation. So um, you mentioned, so, yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, and just one final sitting on that. I can't remember if this is the exact name of the book and the book is, is in my opinion, was just okay, but I think it was called Bored and Brilliant. Um, but it, it talks about, again, we are in a very stimulated uh, society today and our phones are just constantly hijacking uh, and keeping our attention that people can't even, for instance, I sometimes go to the, the men's restroom and you see people going to the washroom and checking their phone, right? Like, uh, you know, we can't just be with ourselves and our own thoughts. And the connection to that book I was trying to make is that if you're someone who's looking for a new path of how you're thinking about a, a problem or a challenge in your life, or you're just generally a creative person, creativity is born out of boredom. And um, I thought, you know, I think that that's a really interesting idea. Just being without stimulation forces the brain to get imagine, imagination and, and think of ideas and so all, all these things feel pretty tied together and, you know, to that concept of think week. Yeah. I love that. Um, I know another area that you're quite passionate about right now is around movement and kind of optimizing the human body and um, the, the, the breadth of, of movement really. And you're taking a, a program, a, a teacher training course around it. Um, tell us a little bit about movement and, um, yeah, why, why you decided to take this course? Yeah, there's so much to say on this. Uh, it is a high area of passion for me. I think my journey really began when um, I, you know, for those that obviously don't know me well, your listeners, I grew up in, in Winnipeg, as was mentioned. Uh, when I graduated university, I had a, a short stint living abroad, and then I uh, eventually through my career was in Toronto and then ended up in Vancouver for a period of time. And when I lived in Vancouver, not surprisingly, uh, people are more connected to, in my opinion, the outdoors and uh, their well-being, uh, work-life balance, those kinds of things. I fell in love with an amazing studio. Uh, huge shout out to Movement 108. Uh, they had, you know, they still to this day have had a huge impact on me. It was to me uh, more than a uh, exercise fitness environment, a real community, uh, which was great for, for me not knowing a lot of people in the city, but more so um, uh, the owner is named Aaron DeJong and he, his philosophy and how the instructors teach there was really rooted on how do we be fit and exercise every day in a way that allows us to move better outside of the gym. So historically I'd always gone to the gym, you know, being a hard worker, being, um, you know, someone who really loves the, the high that comes from a high in, interval training um, session, someone who goes to the gym for that, that feeling. And um, at the studio, I, I learned to appreciate uh, through, through the instruction there that uh, actually spinal mobility, proper form, um, not just thinking about the high level of exercise, but the warm up and, and the lead can be really important to activate the right muscles to prevent injury and then the regulation of the breath and so on. And so when I moved back to Toronto for a career opportunity, part of the, the biggest uh, anxiousness I was feeling was like, oh man, how am I gonna find a gym that can give me that same kind of learning and regular practice that the studio was offering me? And so just like almost like a dating ritual, I went and I was looking at um, gyms in Toronto that had the values that I was looking for out of the studio. And um, I ended up finding one called Spirit Loft and actually trained at a couple different places. Uh, what, I, what I loved about Spirit Loft was these classes that they offer called Movement Labs. And um, they're very different from any type of exercise that I had ever had exposure to. They offer um, a lot of diversity in the class instruction, 
a lot of relational games. So you really have to confront your barrier of just connecting with complete strangers and um, more awareness to how the body operates holistically. Um, and all that to say is I did that for a, a period of time and the teachers who teach there and they're the founders of the studio, Andre and Catalina, were very inspiring to me so much so that they offer a, a, a 10 month mentorship program uh, and training, teacher training. And again, just my curiosity was what propelled me to want to take on that as I think a fun hobby that's very different from what I'm learning and, and doing in my profession. Um, that also then fed my desire to keep discovering things about the body and the mind. So that was a, a, a big overview, but hopefully that gives you some perspective on, on how I got into it. Yeah, so let, let's dive into that just a little bit more. Um, so when you talk about movement, what are we actually talking about here? How, how, are you, how are you encouraging the body to move more, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, so the movement philosophy, I mean, the, the teacher training, people are always asking, okay, so your teacher training, like, what, it, what is that? What, what are you learning? Like yoga? And, um, and the answer is emphatically no. Uh, it's actually quite diverse. And what's neat about it is it, it's kind of, for me, is a parallel to how I've treated my uh, professional development, which is I, my career has been about diversity and being a generalist and some of the jobs and the, and the, the challenges I've taken on. And this teacher training is so perfect for my personality because that's how they think about movement. Um, really believing that diversity breeds immunity and um, can keep the body mobile and, and fully functional as we age uh, and for good well-being. And so the practice is interdisciplinary. It, takes on all these different um, formats uh, from uh, spinal mobility to um, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which is kind of a mouthful, but it's called DNS. You're asking me questions about my childhood earlier, and, and you and I both know like how much that can impact how we, how we are as adults. The same is true when it comes to movement, surprisingly, and the DNS practice, for instance, is all about going back to the movement patterns that we evolutionarily learned um, just through uh, being humans um, and actually doing those motor patterns with a really high degree of intentionality so that um, we are actually reprogramming um, or revisiting our programming for those patterns because as we age and we become adults, those pure patterns get degraded over time through injury, through you know, a life that we live where we're hunched over a keyboard all day at a desk job, all these different things add up. And if you're going to be a, a pure mover, someone who can move to one's full capacity, revisiting those motor patterns can be really healthy for the brain uh, and the physical connection. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example of, of, of really interesting type of work that I've learned through this program. Uh, and beyond that, um, they're heavily influenced by an amazing organization called Fighting Monkey, which I'm happy to talk about. It, that's that in and of itself has been uh, really eye-opening for me and, and a whole treasure trove of learning to um, locomotion patterns. So maybe some of your listeners are familiar with someone like uh, Ido Portal, um, kind of the animalistic movement uh, kind of trend that's, that's taking place. But how can we on a regular basis be more connected to the ground? You know, that's where we've come from as people. And so doing more quadruped or, um, you know, lower body, to the floor movement where you're bear crawling, you're, you're doing what we call locomoting, you're putting your body in twists and turns and in patterns that um, promote suppleness of the spine and irregularity versus linear patterning, which is what we live in our life, forwards and backwards, left and right. Um, and we're not moving in that 360 space. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll pause again. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot in the program. Those are just a few concepts that have had a huge impact on me and how I think about movement. Yeah, I love it. And I've seen your Instagram videos of you doing some of these movements, and they always uh, are quite illuminating as far as uh, the movements that we should be doing. They're they're not your typical walking, lifting, running. You know those types of movements. They really do kind of expand on your hips your upper body mobility it's just it's just areas that we don't typically use but are so fundamental for our 
human body to feel like it's fully connected and, and functional. So I, I love seeing that stuff. And I, I love learning about this uh, from you as, as I hear updates about this. Um, yeah. And there must be um, a, if I, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, yeah, I was just going to add that um, even our school system, right. Which was primarily dated to the industrial revolution. Um, but you think about phys ed and how, linear the teachings of our physical education are for for children in schools and I'm really passionate about what I've been learning in this studio and just a culmination of what I've been exposed to in movement uh, I think this is kind of the future of where exercise will take us um, how we can be diverse in our movement patterns to help us when we're in situations I mean ultimately injury comes from when your body is in a movement or a position that it's not familiar with. And if we can train maybe at the edge in an appropriate and safe manner, we're going to be far more immune to those situations. Um, and the other thing that I think was really cool about some of the things that I've been learning at Spirit Loft is this idea of infinite games. So again, when we think about um, how we, we typically engage in sport, uh, we talk about competition and competitive games is what most people are familiar with. It's, one winner and one loser. And there's a lot of uh, great learnings that we can take from that. However, that's like only one way to engage in, in gaming. And so uh, what we do a lot at that in the teacher training program is something called infinite games. And, you know, it probably is pretty self-explanatory what that means, but it's how do you explore games that allow us, especially as adults to play with no winner at the end, there's infinite possibilities. And it's more about, connecting with people, something again, that's really embedded in deep down in who we are um, as, as a species. And, and so I think that's a really interesting concept and one that is really important for children to learn as well. Um, and for adults, I mean, apart from organized sports, like when, and maybe dancing, like when do you connect to the playful side of who we are, right? It just doesn't happen enough. Um, whereas children, you have that innocence and, and they're free to go on and be creative and do interesting things. And so I think for me in this past year, especially, it's been more connecting to that sense of play and just being less um, minded of my ego and, and worried about what other people think and more just embracing the strange and, and, and having some fun with it. And uh, it's been really eye opening. Yeah, I love that. And that's not even to really touch upon the benefits to mental health. Like, you know, there's the physical health benefits, but creating that playful mentality, being able to uh, not be so focused on competition or being so anxious about what other people think, those are all things that come from, um, you know, physical health. So um, I love it. I love it. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now in terms of um, kind of your, your, your work life, uh, using air quotes here, because life is life. But uh, as far as work, what are, you, what are you doing now? Yeah, so um, my career has taken many different twists and turns. I think the, there's been scenes uh, and arcs to them throughout that's been consistent, which is I love... Uh, helping others. I love launching new initiatives, building new things. And when things become a bit more linear and, and scalable, uh, which is great and serves its purpose, uh, for me, it, it tends to lose some of that interest. And so um, I kind of, that's how you and I met, started in the social entrepreneurship space with a, a really dynamic organization and, and volunteer travel and was, was building out a team there um, and then had pivoted into a uh, product marketing uh, capacity and then most recently uh, I've been just over four years with a technology company a software company called Slack um, and that was part of the reason why I actually moved out to Vancouver uh, was, was to work out of their office there and it's been um, wow a crazy just shy of four and a half years with that organization uh, for those that don't know, it, it, it's grown astronomically in the period of time that I've been there. So it's been interesting just to experience what an organization that's quite frankly and was or you know has experienced hyper growth uh, can can feel like from just as an individual, but also um, just as a team and, and culturally. And so to answer your question, 
um, I moved out to Toronto or back to Toronto rather uh, because I, I got an opportunity to launch their sales team here and build out a, a new function uh, for the company and also just uh, a new team in Toronto. And so that's been really challenging to be honest, but also really rewarding. And the people that I work with are, are incredible. And um, so yeah, today uh, I'm spending my time leading, leading a team, which has been, uh, which has been great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so by many measures, I think, you know, you can say your career so far has been a, a success um, in, in, you know, in growth and um, the type of responsibility that you take on now. Uh, it's, it's, amazing. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about maybe some of the a moment of adversity or struggle, failure in your life that kind of helped make, make who, you who you are today as, as one of those foundational moments of what's brought today's success? Yeah, there's, there's so many, to be honest. I, uh, your questions just brought to mind a couple examples, so I'll, I'll share some, some quick stories. One was um, when I graduated, I paid my way through university and um, didn't do a ton of travel until I graduated. And, and when I did, I decided to go do a month-long excursion backpacking in Asia uh, with a good friend of mine. And it completely shook my foundation, having seen such a, a different part of the world uh, and, and a culture. I came back to Winnipeg and, and felt like I just didn't belong and I needed to explore um, new challenges and, and shake things up and try something new. And so that brought me over to Europe. I was on a holiday visa working in Ireland and uh, I was our student council president for my business school at the University of Manitoba. So full of like enthusiasm and, and belief that I could get an international uh, job in commerce, which is what I studied. Uh, ignorantly not realizing because Canada was, was more sheltered from other parts of the world that I had just gone to Ireland during an incredibly difficult world recession. And Ireland was one of the worst hit countries. And so it was extremely humbling trying to apply for work in that country and um, you know, just getting constantly rejected. I can remember applying for a graveyard shift at a factory. Um, <laughs> following up the next day and they're like, Oh, we, we got a 90 CVs and no, we haven't even looked at your application. And I was like, Holy smokes. I can't wow. even, if they saw my physical structure, they would probably not think I was burly enough to take on the job, but they couldn't even see me. And I was already selected out. And I think the, the one experience that was really huge and, and uh, people who know me have probably heard this story, but I, I ended up getting a job as an elf for Santa Claus <laughs> Um, in right, right. one of the, in one of the roughest areas of the city, to be honest, in, in Ballymun in Northern uh, part of Dublin. And it took, you know, I think it was like three bus rides to get there an hour and a half. I mean, it was brutal. And, um, and then the job was just barely over minimum wage. And, uh, I was taking photos of kids wearing a, a goofy outfit. I didn't even look like an elf. I looked like some kind of reject from Fantasia with like a Mickey Mouse uh, top hat Matt Hatter style and this like and this jacket magician's jacket with um, you know kind of that cut on the bottom and and some rosy cheek makeup and so it was just extremely humbling and just you have those moments in life or at least certainly that for me was like wow like all my peers uh, and many many of them had gone on to secure themselves well-paying entry-level jobs outside of school here I was as like somebody that people um, we're curious about being student council president and I had directly made a decision to go abroad, um, barely make it uh, in rent and payments uh, from week to week and, and being an elf for Santa Claus. Um, I just, uh, I remember just feeling, um, you know, really a lot of self-doubt and um, not totally sure how this all fit together. And I think mm -hmm. how that's really shaped me, it's, it's been something that I've brought up even time to time in, in job interviews. It's just like, uh, wow, what a character building experience. If there was any arrogance or, or, or level of hubris in me, it was, it was stomped out in experiences like that. And I had many other jobs that I did in, in, in my time there. That one, obviously, I think is the most uh, pointed. And so, yeah, I, I just think that those kinds of experiences, travel, living in a different country, exposure to new cultures had a really big impact. Um, and then just to keep on the professional theme, uh, switching, fast forwarding to when I was doing product marketing work for a technology company 
in Toronto, I found, so I was working in the loyalty space, you know, for, for listeners that maybe aren't, aren't totally aware with that. It's like, you know, um, think Aeroplan in Canada or any kind of frequent flyer mile program in the United States and Europe or a hotel, all those kinds of collectible points that you can get. And we powered a lot of the functionality behind the scenes. And it was an amazing entry into tech and, um, it was interesting and, and, and all that. I did find myself towards my, the end of my time there feeling really unfulfilled. Like I, I had this job that was, you know, fairly challenging professionally, uh, but in terms of like loyalty, just didn't really care about that as a space and the impact that that was having in the world and having left an organization earlier than that, that was super mission driven. We were selling volunteer travel opportunities to students to uh, help in developing countries to this type of world it was tough for me to reconcile those two. And so that was also a really challenging time where I had a lot of, um, I have a lot of uncertainty of where I want to take my career and my life and just felt very unsatisfied, but also felt the weight of if anything was going to change, it was going to be because I was in the driver's seat to, to have that change happen. And, um, yeah, I mean, I ended up saving up some money and then just deciding one one week to quit cold turkey and not have anything lined up so that I could do the proper introspection and thoughts uh, or, or reflections around what exactly I wanted to do in my next step, which was more, how do I find somewhere in between, have something that is um, mission driven for me, that, that's, a, that's, that's giving an impact I care about, but also is a, um, you know, is in tech and is, is something that, that interests me from uh, a technology point of view. So those are just two examples of experiences that have, have affected my character and, and my greediness professionally. Um, elfing as, 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 as I did in Ireland and then um, just going through a tough decision to, to quit without something lined up and just having the space to think about um, what I wanted to do next um, kind of a few years ago in my career. Yeah. Two amazing stories. Um, with the with the second story in your career at that point, I think you're were you in your late twenties or is that yeah, it must be, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really yeah, getting, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in my late twenties, yeah. Right on there. But so um and, and uh, you know, I am and was in that position about what do I really want and um, I think it's hard for a lot of people, uh, myself included, to conjure up the courage to say, this isn't right for me. There's something more here and take that leap. It's, it's part of what Ikigai is about, I think, is, is courage to make that decision to, to, to follow what you feel like is your North Star. Um, I don't know if you remember what kind of the reflection process was for you back then or what you were specifically thinking about, but how did you know that you needed to make a change? What were you listening for within yourself to, to propel you to that? Yeah, it comes down to self-awareness and a foundation of understanding my values. And I say that cautiously because I think self-knowledge is a lifelong journey. And when I think about Ikigai, for me, it's really understanding that the day we think we understand and know ourselves fully and we have things figured out is, is the day that we, we most likely don't have a clue, right? And so I think about that as a lifelong opportunity to keep learning and growing. That said, um, I've invested time on going in myself to be introspective, to think about what values do I care about and hold and how does that show up in the life decisions? And I think that's where a lot of unhappiness and anxiousness um, comes to life in our society is people who maybe don't have an articulation of values, but they can feel on some level in their body or in their spirit, this um, they're living a life that's not congruent with who they are, who their authentic self. And um, that, you know, is not something I have mastered at all. I do think it's something I think about a lot, though. And so that trigger is an awareness when you can just feel in your tonality and your energy. And for me, I could just, I could just sense that I just 
for integrity, for instance, is a value I hold dear. And I just felt like I, I didn't have integrity in how I showed up in my friendships and my community uh, on, on how I was feeling at that time, both professionally and just also in, in, in my excitement. And so that was a real trigger for me to do the hard work to figure out, okay, I got I to gotta make a change. And uh, I got to fight my monkey mind and overcome a resistance in how I'm thinking uh, because your, your mind will play games on you, right? Like our brains want us to be habitual. It's born out of energy conservation. And again, this evolutionary pattern of, of not knowing what, what threats around the corner, but mm-hmm. that same mind will, will also hold you back. And in my opinion, um, give you this talk track that is, is like you said, um, not promoting courage, but promoting staying with the path that you're on. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just like being aware that our inner voice isn't us. Our inner voice is um, a culmination of life experiences and trauma and good and bad that have happened mixed with um, a, a clinging to be safe and to not put, put oneself in risk. And um, our brain doesn't always know how evolved our society has has changed over time where there isn't um, necessarily a line in the bush or, um, you know, we be, should, should be so lucky in Canada, especially um, near near threats uh, in an average person's day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. There's so much good stuff there <laughs> that we could <laughs> spend hours just teasing apart. Um, and I can relate wholeheartedly with everything you just said. Um, I think from my, you know, life and experience, I've been a very logic oriented person, uh, definitely a process oriented person. So digging in these habits and behaviors on a daily basis is super comforting for me because I know what my routine is. I know where my next paycheck will come from, where my next um, you know, sense of fulfillment will be, uh, whether through relationships or through work or hobbies. Um, but what's interesting, I'm realizing more and more having lived more years and my life year experiences are still <laughs> to be hopefully grown in. And, and, um, but what I do notice is when I don't feel when I feel a disconnect between who I'm being and what I'm doing or who I am and what I'm doing, I feel a sense of like a a gut feel that this isn't right. And I show up in a way that's different too, that it's just not fully me and, and listening to that and being aware of it feels like a, just a foundational piece of being more in tune with what you should be doing. If that makes sense at all. Yeah, um, I actually have two points on that, Peter. Uh, one is they're going back to school life full circle to our earlier conversation. We talked about meaning in life. Another one that really stood out to me is not typical, right? You think about things, probably your listeners, and, and we could all kind of risk, list off things that, you know, what would give us meaning? Okay, like access service, connection, community, all those no- normal, maybe intuitive things. One of them was order. And um, that was surprising to me. And, and, you know, these things don't all manifest for everyone in the same way. Some people care more about others than, than, than not. But I would say, like, for instance, just hearing y- your talk, like, there's also great beauty in satisfying that part of our personality, which is in a chaotic, random world, creating a small sliver of, of order can be a very fulfilling thing in life. And so, you know, I don't want to caution that habits are bad by any means. I think it's just right. like knowing when you're maybe in a pattern that um, isn't helpful versus like when you can get that feeling of satisfaction from doing something, checking off a list, organizing a sock drawer, all those different things that can be really uh, fulfilling. Um, so that, that's one thing. And then the second thing I'd say is um, we haven't touched on this yet in, in our conversation, but I, I think like maybe if people are listening to this and they're, and they're having things come up in their own life or um, how they're showing up in, in their day to day. One thing that has had a huge impact on me is um, the University of British Columbia. I did a year long coaching program. Um, and, and that was, again, just born out of curiosity, not sure what doors that would open or where that would take me. But just knowing that in a lot of times in my life, I would be someone who would help others work through other career challenges, new ideas for entrepreneurship pursuits, et cetera. Um, the reason I bring it up here is because 
I realized in that experience um, as a student of trying to become um, someone who had coaching principles, the power that um, having a coach can have in one's life in being able to uh, reach a new outcome or have new, new insight, especially if these things aren't something that are part of a person's you know, spectrum. And so uh, I would just say that, the, that there's a lot of great support out there. Um, and I'm, you know, this isn't even self-driven. I don't have any motive here other than just saying that um, you, can, you can find, you know, coaches, uh, professional coaches or, you know, life coaches if that's your jam. And a lot of times it's just having someone who can, for me, I learned from that, that course, like the power of a structured conversation that is intentional on working through a challenge that somebody's facing and that coach or that person is fully attentive, fully engaged there to try to shine a, a flashlight and help you uncover areas of observation or, or, or new connections that you didn't otherwise realize. So um, I do think for, for people who are struggling, um, you know, for me, self, self-driven activities have really helped. But, you know, for others who might need uh, support, there, there are opportunities out there that people can, can take advantage of. Yeah. It's a topic that we're both quite passionate about. Um, so this is great. You yeah, I mean, these, these podcasts feel like coaching sessions. Uh, I mean, I love your level of questioning and your thoughtfulness. So yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's really great. I appreciate that. Um, so I'm curious. So we touched upon the concept of Ikigai, I guess I'm almost throughout the podcast um, episode here. So I'm curious though, you know, what, if, if I were to ask, you know, what does Ikigai mean to you now? You know, how do you know you're, you're kind of going in that right direction or, or feeling your way through this life that's so complex and interesting and cool and um, has so much to offer? What does Ikigai mean to you, Mark? Yeah. So another thing that uh, I've been uh, focused on uh, over quite a few years, but, but especially as part of this teacher training program is also, also mindfulness practice. And that's a whole other topic that, uh, you know, I'd be very enthused to talk about. I, I, I think we're getting to the, the, the twilight of our conversation or what I would say though, that was, was interesting for me is um, you can have like three, they call it vendana, but three feelings of, 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 of motion, you know, pleasant, unpleasant and neutral. And I think a lot of people are familiar with the, self-awareness and the feelings that get triggered when they get a, a highly pleasant sensation and also when it's really unpleasant. Um, uh, I think maybe people are less familiar with what neutrality feels like in the body, which is something for me personally, I, I'm exploring more is like, what does it mean when you're just, you're neither positive nor down, you're just kind of is, uh, and how to be aware that that can actually be in and of itself a pleasant feeling. Um, where I'm going with this though is, uh, the, the, the icky guy piece is for me and an idea that, and this is maybe again, a, a pessimistic spin, but life is just a series of, of challenges or problems. And when we can understand that it's very freeing and liberating and knowing that no matter what happens, what decision I make, if I quit my job tomorrow, sure, that might close the door to a series of problems now, but it's going to open up a door to another new set of problems. If I'm single and, I have dreams of being in a relationship. I fantasize about like the grass being greener on that. And then I open the door and um, that again, comes with a whole new host of problems. And so I think life is, is very fulfilling and well-lived when we realize, um, and this is something I've talked about with my brother, you know, that everything is going to come with its own adversity. And when I think about icky guy, it's like really hugging that and, and leaning into, I'm never going to have things perfect happiness, as society defines it, is, is a, a, a road that leads to disappointment um, because it's just a feeling in, 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 in my perspective. And so, you know, there, there is that, that element. And so when I think of Ikigai, it's like one, how to become comfortable with the struggle. Um, and, and that looks different for everyone. And again, we're, we're lucky to have the opportunities and the resources that we have here in Canada. And, I'm very well aware of the, you know, privileges I have, um, you know, being a white male and all those different things. The, but the point is, is that um, if you can really 
if you can really hold on to that, I think that's, that's really key. And then the other thing that's kind of touched on throughout this conversation is just um, self-awareness. And so I think Ikigai is, is getting more connected to your authentic self and being aware of who you are as a person. And that's hard work. Like it's not something that comes overnight. Again, I know of a lot of resources that can help somebody get there. Um, but it, but it, it, it's, it's for me been a lifelong journey. However, I will say the more that one lives in accordance to their authentic self, I think the more fulfilling and meaningful of a life that they live and they can achieve that icky guy. And I think, you know, your last guest that, that I listened to or, or a guest in your podcast series, Andrew Jones, he talked about how authenticity was so key in, in, in his journey. And I really believe that it's like, are you living a life that is based on what other people want of you or of other, other schedules, or are you doing things that, you know, might be weird, but you're weird. I'm weird. Right. And so how do we just like be weird and be okay with that and, and live that. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so as we look to, to wrap up, um, Reflecting on this, this is a question I ask all my guests, um, or almost all. I'm figuring, th figuring this podcast <laughs> thing out. <laughs> um, you know, reflecting on this conversation, what was most surprising to you? Um, how important this topic is. I mean, I was so pumped for you in taking on this initiative. I think it takes a lot of courage to try a new thing and put yourself out there and put a format uh, and art out to the world for people to consume and to judge and, and what have you. And I think now being an interview guest, for me, it just solidifies how important the work you're doing is and how important this conversation is. I think um, mental health issues are on the rise and uh, our economy is shifting towards far more mentally demanding work as we automate a lot of the physical and movement force type activities uh, and even automate more basic mental challenges that are more of administrative nature. And so to me, that just heightens the importance of mental health and how if we are, if our greatest asset to our livelihoods and to how to help others is our minds, like what are we, we're, we're going to the gym regularly. Are we, what are we doing to exercise or to strengthen or to, um, unwind uh, our minds. And I think that there's a movement that's clearly happening. This is becoming more part of, you know, the, the dialogue and, and mainstream conversation. Uh, that said, uh, I think we have a, a lot more, more to go. Mm. So good. Um, and I, I feel like this has been the start of a conversation in many ways. Like I, I it, it feels like we need to do a part two sometime to, to dive deeper into some of these topics because uh, there's more things that I think we could, we could dive into further. But um, I really just genuinely appreciate you being here on the, the Guy Project, sharing your experiences and wisdom. And, and maybe next time when we connect, we find out more about um, how the movement teacher training wrapped up. Um, how your thinking has, yeah, continued to evolve around pursuing Geeky Guy and, and how we continue to uh, live out some of these principles. So I love it. Um, what's the best way for people to reach out and connect with you? Yeah, I think probably what's easiest is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm active on the professional social media platform, LinkedIn. So if you want to find me there, you can. Um, you can also shoot me an email if you'd like. Uh, it's just my full name, Mark David Henry at gmail.com. Uh, and that's Mark with a C. Uh, so either, either way is, is, is a great form to get, get a hold of me. Perfect. Well, any last words, Mark, before we wrap up? No, um, I just, yeah, really appreciate, feel very um, humbled for the opportunity to have the conversation with you today and uh, would obviously welcome uh, a follow-up. Uh, maybe we can, we can let the data and the analytics decide if, if that's, if that's worthwhile. But uh, if not, we could always have these conversations off a podcast. So this has been great. Perfect. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. You can check them out at hearhue, H-U-E dot bandcamp.com. 
If you'd like to learn more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out my weekly blog at ikigai.blog. And that's it for now. Take good care, everyone.